This is a shock podcast. We have silly season coming up. Well, it's already, it's already started. Quite a shakeup. Three senior staff have left. Team principal Otmar Safnauer, he's out. Sporting director Alan Permain is out. Chief technical officer Pat Fry is out. And all of this just a few days after their CEO, Laurent Rossi, stepped down as well. Who, who do we think is going to replace them? Reynolds. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds coming in, team principal. (laughs) Probably Daniel Woodruff. Hello and welcome to another episode of Suited and Booted, the Formula One podcast. We've got three racing drivers here. My name is Daniel Woodruff and with me in the studio is... We're on time. And... Jasmine Jafar. Hello, gentlemen. We have just finished Spa-Francorchamps. Hopefully I've pronounced that correctly. Uh, and we're just about to head into the summer break. It's been quite a few races, almost back to back. Before we get into what is going to be a juicy episode, there's a lot that's been happening. And we haven't even gone to the summer break yet. Ron, shall we start with a quick roundup of how... How the weekend went absolutely dan good to have you back again in the studio thank you let's have a recap quick recap on sprint qualifying we've got max on pole as usual obviously but then we've got oscar in p2 and carl's in p3 the closest margin i think we've seen in the top three for qualifying in these ever-changing tricky conditions it was like one tenth between the top three and then sprint race we've got max again obviously finishing first but a great podium though for Oscar Piastri and Pierre Gasly. I think this really gave them a big boost in confidence, especially Pierre Gasly. You know, you saw the tear, almost like tears in his eyes. He was so emotional. I think he needed that podium finish for his good friend, Antoine Huber. Jazz, do you want to elaborate a little bit on the sprint race? Uh, maybe, uh, actually, we've got a fan of ours, my Ziman, who, you know, message wanted to know a little bit more about the penalty between Hamilton and and Chaco. Mind elaborating on that? Yeah, sprint race is obviously a shorter version of the Grand Prix, right? So it was held for about 20-odd laps. The drivers are on max attack. So top eight of the drivers get points. So they will be jostling for position. The, the car is a lot less fuel, a lot quicker as well with fresh set of tyres and etc. So one of the main factors that happened during the race was when Lewis was battling with Checo Perez coming into sector three in which he dived in on the inside on the double right-hander and clipped the bodywork on the right-hand side, side pod and caused damage. Soon after, a good three laps later, FIA gave him... A penalty, which was a five-second penalty, which dropped him further back of the grid. But Chaco's race was over. He was trying to survive the race. He still tried to get some points. He was dropped back. And it became a very difficult situation. So in hindsight for me, looking at the incident, obviously everyone's hot-headed and trying to score as much points as they can. But at the same time, it threw one driver out of the race. So mm-hmm. it's a very sticky situation, but FIA needed to do what they needed to do. It's quite interesting, right? And, and again, we, we speak about all of the new fans that come into to Formula One because of things like Drive to Survive. Um, and I think particularly with how you know the World Drivers Championship ended between Max and, and Hamilton, a lot of fans that have joined the sport have been very vocal about the FIA right? They're always talking about, oh, the FIA is inconsistent, etc, etc. And I know that's something that we've spoken about on this show as well. But while the FIA does have regulations that are black and white in terms of what is allowed, what's not allowed, what will then lead to penalties and stuff like that. Jazz, Ron, I mean, maybe we need to give everybody an insight as to 
why it's so subjective from race to race because at the end of the day every race has a different panel of judges essentially that will then dish out these penalties and because of that it is somewhat kind of subjective right you do have black and white rules but at the end of the day it's down to the personal opinions of what is sometimes racing drivers to then decide whether it is a a racing incident or if it is something a bit more malicious and requires a a penalty no yeah um you know the fia has such a difficult task in managing all of these situations you know ultimately they just want to make sure motorsports is safe for all the drivers um, and for the fans out there as well but also making these decisions on whether or not the drivers should get the penalty really falls into the race director and the stewards involved now every collision or every accident that happens on track is subject to how it happened right it's it's very different you can't say yeah it happened this way so your penalty is going to be this way i think the only way you can govern that is really track limits as they did in in austria which is very black and white but for any incident um like just mentioned you know it's a small contact but then as a result checo couldn't finish the race so is five second penalty really harsh i also don't think so because you ruined someone else's race it's very difficult to judge on whether or not they made the right decision they will always have haters but at the end of the day you just have to accept whatever decision they make whether or not it's fair it's, it's very hard to say yeah but, don't get me wrong guys like looking at racing us racing drivers in a in a driver's perspective obviously you want a bit of wheel bumping and trying to dive in or you know trying to do moves that that doesn't cause you to crash but you have to create the opportunity to overtake depending on the location of the track depending on the situation you're in drs or not etc etc but you want to see some good racing you want to race well but in unfortunate circumstances this element of racing incident is a bit subjective like yeah. what is racing incident yeah. mm-hmm. I'm, right? I'm sure you guys had this as well like during our racing days I'm sure when we will tangle in a situation we've always had thoughts like oh I can't believe they made that you know that decision but then now when we're not in the seat and we see it from a different perspective then we've got a different view of it i'm not sure if you guys see that but i certainly do (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I think i think another thing is that the limit and the way that you drive changes between the category that you're in right like at the end of the day if you're an f2 you have one season to basically catch the attention of all these f1 scouts right so if you're Mm -hmm. not dive bombing to show them that you're brave aggressive know how to make your way to the front there's a real chance that you're not going to be selected to F1 and you've made it so close. Mm-hmm. But then the minute you get to F1, suddenly all of these aggressive moves are condemned, right? Mm-hmm. When we're learning how to race in go-karts because we have plastic bumpers, mm-hmm. we are a little bit more aggressive. And if you do decide to be a little bit more reserved or try not to bend the rules in your favor by, you know, kind of cutting the white line here or there, you're losing out. So I feel like we're really, really aggressive in our entire career development. And then they all get to F1 and all of a sudden they have to really 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 dial it down but i guess that's also because there's a lot more money on the line as well right 100 percent. i personally think as well maybe f1 is it's, it's a good thing they are getting very very safe um you know especially with what happened in the past um with the history of antoine huber and delano Ventoff. It is good, definitely, for the drivers and for the sport. But at the same time, it also takes away that bit of, you know, excitement, you know, of what motorsport is really about. But yeah, but that's just my opinion. That, that raises a really, really good point, Ron. I mean, I, I think safety was a particular conversation that came up a lot 
even during the F1 broadcast, right? I think Jazz is probably going to be the best person to speak about this. He had a very, very passionate uh, review of a uh, bit done by Martin Brundle on the Sky Sports broadcast talking about what happened to Delano Vantoff and Antoine Hubert and whether the track is too dangerous, right? Spa in particular. And we saw snippets of this race weekend being extremely dangerous, right? There were extreme rains at, at certain points, right? Um, but there were areas where the FIA did show that they are erring more on the, the kind of safety side because they did delay things like the sprint race start, etc. I mean, you want to talk about that, that, that bit, Jazz? Yeah, I think they were a lot more aware. What mind blows me is that nowadays, when there's a wet race, they got their tents up and they got their uh, raincoat up. Drivers are sitting in the car a lot earlier, 20 minutes before the race. But having said that, I sense the FIA's communication is more in detail. You know, where the clouds are coming, how much rain there is, how much standing water. And I'm sure you guys noticed that Aston Martin DBX that's been going around the the, the medical car, they, they did laps and laps and laps to see where the standing water is and etc. Until that burnt Mylander gave the green light. Even so, the rain has stopped. There's still water and, and now running with those 18-inch wheel tyres. The spray is a lot more than what we've seen in previous years. So when the race started under the safety car, even so, it took them almost five laps in Spa. I mean, Spa is a seven-kilometre circuit, right? Until that is confident enough for the race to let go, then only they started the race. So there's, there was a wait for the race to start. There's the safety car procedure laps in the DBX and then the race started again under the safety car then the race went on so there was a good like 45 minutes of making sure it was safe to go but having said that drivers were still at risk you know it's still wet uh, mixed mm-hmm. conditions but when they were about to dry out before the start of the race some already went in for inter so I thought it was a good initiative by the FIA. You know, it's kind of funny, right? You're, you're saying it's a good initiative there, and I completely agree with you, but I am actually going to say that the FIA hasn't done anything too different. I mean, you remember races in like Suzuka a couple years ago as well, a track known for occasionally getting quite heavy rain as well. And I, I can't recall which race this happened, but I can just hear Martin Brundle's voice in my head in the commentary after a delayed start. It might have been Canada or something, where he goes, let's just get on with it. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us feel the same way right Mm -hmm. but it it really does take losing two drivers and of course one very very recently unfortunately for that entire mentality to shift but actually nothing's really changed you know Mm -hmm. i feel like the fia is doing exactly what they've done in the past but now people are a bit more respectful of the kind of safety concerns that that they do have i think max had a had a comment on that as well um, when he was interviewed he said that in formula one there's so many of these high speed dangerous corners but it's not brought up until something happens Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So yeah. that, that's always the case. No one will talk about it until something bad happens and say, like, okay, let's do something about it. You know, to summarize all this, there, there must be a solution, right? Whether the solution shall be to wait it out or it has to have a balance between TV time, good racing, drivers not being able to wait too long, etc., etc. I think that the FIA should just come up with a simple rule and say, look, let's do three reconnaissance laps, right? Like what we did in karting. If it's super heavy rain, clog up the course or the stewards will say, off you go, go do three laps, come back, back to the grid, wait another 10-15 minutes to then reinstart the procedure. If the spray is too much and the water is too much, then there's nothing we can do about it, mm-hmm. right? But also, the FIA and the teams, they know which tracks 
have these conditions. Like these are the tracks that are commonly raining. Mm-hmm. They are always wet. They always they always have standing water. It's also a preemptive measure. I think that's another thing FI should look into. Or maybe just better drainage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very very interesting points. Uh, safety always a big concern, and then I guess also to kind of summarize, I feel like. People are going to complain about new rules being introduced regardless. But I think at the end of the day, we just end up getting used to it, kind of like the Halo. I think the only thing we're not getting used to is maybe the sound of the F1 cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's hope that they do bring that back. I, I think they, they did. I, I heard Ross Braun saying something. I think it was him. He was basically saying that in, in some of the upcoming new regulations, they are going to introduce better sound. But we can talk about that when that's a, a bit more concrete. I'm also going to say again, tricky conditions clearly leading to... Better racing, as we saw in the sprint and sprint race. Let's talk about McLaren, specifically Piastri, or McLaren as a whole, going from zero to hero, back to zero. What's what's happening there? I know. Um, unfortunate incident at the race start between Oscar and Carlos. Looking at the video, I think maybe it was a premature, preemptive move from, uh, from Oscar. You know, he tried to make a move on the inside, maybe a little bit too hasty, but also Carlos didn't really have anywhere to go with Hamilton on the outside. So he kind of got squeezed in and didn't really have any anywhere to go. It's a mistake for him to make right now so he can learn from it. Uh, but it was unfortunate for him. Um, you know, he had such a good sprint race result and unfortunately just put himself out of the race completely right at the start. On the car side, McLaren had a minor upgrade. Uh, the rear wing uh, sort of copied Red Bull's theory with the, with the curves and um, slightly upwards uh, design. And uh, both drivers liked it during free practice because it had more downforce and it gave more confidence through the high-speed corners and etc. But when qualifying came and when the race started, they were about 7-8 kilometers down. So there was too much drag in the upgrade, mm. which gave the McLaren guys a, a, you know, it really opened their eyes that they knew that minor, minor changes can affect the whole Grand Prix. Do, so, Do you think that was masked when they had the qualifying, when it was like damp conditions and mm. it wasn't, you know? You're right, Ron. I think you're absolutely right, especially when they, they, they managed to qualify up front, but it affected them during the race. So sometimes being too comfortable with a lot of downfalls in Spa doesn't doesn't help the, 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 the end result in the race. Do we feel like these upgrades will actually benefit them in the next race. I'm going to talk about Zandvoort at the very, very end, but after the summer break, we are going to the Netherlands. Uh, Zandvoort, beautiful track with loads of camber, uh, which basically means loads of banking. If you look at photos of the track, it's basically diagonal. It's it's It got so much angle. So will the downforce help there, or is that more of a mechanical grip track? I reckon it's much more a mechanical grip track because the high-speed corners is mostly Shivelak, which is sector two of the circuit where it goes uphill and then a steep downhill curve. But then the rest of the corners on the chicane and the, uh, and the slow, slower speed third, fourth gear corners are, are mostly mechanical grip. So I don't see any upgrades being an effect there. It's more of a driver and getting all the bits and pieces together in, in that circuit. But soon after, Zandvoort will be the major turnaround for the rest of the year. Yeah, and they, they do have a couple couple of weeks to kind of sort that out. I mean, it is the summer break coming up. We've got roughly three weeks off, but the teams aren't taking time off. I mean, the drivers will still be on the sims, but I'm sure the McLaren engineers are very much going to be working their butts off to get the car ready for, for the Netherlands. Isn't there a uh 
um, how do you say it? Isn't there like a rule now set by the FIA or the governing body of Formula One saying that there is a period of time where no one is allowed to work or even open an email during summer break or is that winter break? I can't remember. I think it was summer break. It's trying to restrict Budget costs Budget costs yeah. Man hours Trying to find a loophole To actually um, Develop the car Wind tunnel hours As well has dropped So you're right It is very crucial For the um, hours Put in at work Actually um, Interesting Yeah but you never know. They might have yeah. a Google Mail account that <laughs> some emails has been bouncing around, right? Email gate. <laughs> yeah. Totalwolf at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think to summarize there, McLaren still done very, very well. I think I think Zach can be very, very happy with what the team's achieved. I think there's a great dynamic going on between the drivers, engineers, uh, and just seeing Zach super happy over the last few race weekends. Uh, really, really good to see. And... I'm always going to say it. I mean, the best sponsorship activations, as always, I think the the Google Chrome collab, still one of my most favorites in recent years. Now, moving away from McLaren, the juiciest topic since Spa, let's talk about Alpine. We know there's been quite a shakeup, an extraordinary weekend, actually. Three senior staff have left. We've got team principal Otmar Safnauer. He's out. Sporting director Alan Permain is out. Chief technical officer Pat Fry is out. And all of this just a few days after the CEO, Laurent Rossi, stepped down as well. I mean, what on earth is going on, guys? Do you reckon it could be influenced from the new stakeholders? Yes, we spoke about this a few episodes ago. So what, Ryan Reynolds, part of a consortium owning 30%? Yeah, around there. I think that's enough to, to have a board seat, perhaps, in Alpine. It's a big organization, guys. I I, I believe the, the new consortium, there's Alpine under the Renault Group. Um, there's also uh, Genai Capital, which was the earlier days of Lotus there's a few stakeholders in there but the results are not producing but I saw a quote you know on, on Alan Prost four times world champion he had a team himself he's one of the senior advisors of the team and and he said he was very surprised by the decision made by Alpine to let go of you know one of the best brains in the business when I read that article below it he's no longer in Alpine either Really? which means since January, he's no longer a senior advisor for Alpine. So if you calculate the, 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 the amount of heads, they, they let go of Marcin Bogowski, and then you let go of Alan Pross, you let go of uh, Lauren Rossi, now Otmar Zaffenauer, and then Pat Fry, and then Alan Premain. Wow. I mean, wow. guys, these are these are special people in the sport. They've been in the sport for God knows as long as I know. Um, mm-hmm. What is their game plan? Are they having someone to lead the charge for only 18 months? Is the contract only 18 months? Is it just result basis and when you're not scoring three or four races continuously and you get kicked out? Or is it actually, hey, I'm not winning tomorrow, off you go? Yeah, I mean, if it was influenced by the new stakeholders, as much as how I praise Ryan Reynolds for turning over that football team of <laughs> his, yeah. and he did extremely well, I may not know much about football, um, excuse me for that, but I don't think it's as easy as just changing the head manager of the club, in this case, these people. There are only a handful of these guys within the industry with that much technical knowledge. And yet, if you give them a year and a half to produce results, it's just not enough. Yeah. Looks like Ryan Reynolds isn't Mr. Nice Guy after all. No. <laughs> but uh, but I, I will say, I think just playing devil's advocate as well. I mean, Jazz, as you were saying, these are all heavy hitters, right? Otmar, been in the sport for, for decades. Pat Fry. All these names are super well-known, and of course, Pross goes without introduction. But that doesn't lead to the success of a team, right? From a management perspective, do you reckon these people might have 
egos or just maybe really, really set in their ways so that they can't work together. At the end of the day, it's, it's a team, right? But if you have five big hitters that are adamant that you do things their way, then maybe departments work in silos and that leads to the ultimate failure of the team. We know that some F1 teams with having big organizations comes with a certain organizational structure, like corporate structure. And there's, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of department heads. There's a lot of management heads, boards, chairmen. and etc right sometimes it's just good to just streamline it you can't have 10 rose bronze or you can't have 10 john todds or or, agreed or 10 um you know london rossies right leading the team it takes time for certain structures to mature especially in formula one and the clock is ticking for them alpine's a new brand um that they want to live up the sports car brand you know they got two good drivers grand prix winners and It's time for them to produce on track. It's good to see the podium back into their favour in Spa. Mm-hmm. But how long can that go on for? All the best to Alpine. Who, who do we think is going to replace them? Reynolds. Ryan <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Reynolds coming in, team principal. <laughs> Probably Daniel Woodruff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they did play someone as an interim team. team principal he's got the whole summer break to sort things out but that that new head that will steer alpine i think has a lot on it on his plate to change that team 100 all right so stepping away from the management side of things let's actually talk about the drivers gasly did pretty well he did he did p3 in the sprint race yeah as i mentioned before you know you, you can see the emotion inside that driver i think he deserved that p3 he drove extremely well um he didn't put a foot wrong uh just unfortunately he didn't get the results he needed in the grand prix but for that to happen in the sprint race is maximum effort including all of that news surrounding the team you know you know that you're that, that Otmar's leaving the team Alan's leaving the team and to keep your head down and just do your job it's quite impressive so I, I feel bad for the guys but I, I kind of want to see them you know hopefully come back up and do as well as he did like back in Monaco or, or, or the previous races. Anything we want to say about Ocon? He struggled. I must say he struggled uh, throughout the weekend. Balance issues, trying to keep up in the, within the points. Um, he was there or thereabouts in the end, but that car looked, it was a hustle to drive, did, you yeah. know. He didn't look comfortable at all. Radio comms didn't sound too convincing, but they were just hoping for that rain to turn into their favor, mm-hmm. um, which it didn't. I think they were trying to create opportunities, but that mid-pack, guys, is very, very tight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a couple of tens put them outside of the top 10, but now looking at other teams' good day, they're battling with AlphaTauri. So I think Sonoda had a good battle out with um, Ocon throughout that race. Yeah. And Sonoda was praising Gasly as well, saying that a lot of what he attributes to his uh, success recently in F1 has been down to a lot of advice that he's been receiving from from Gasly. So, Mr. Nice Guy, Ryan Reynolds, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Pierre Gasly, nice guy. Thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, moving away from Alpine, God, I guess we have to talk about Red Bull. I, yeah. <laughs> everything I read online is all about how, like, Max is not putting a foot wrong, how they're running out of quote-unquote superlatives to talk about how amazingly he's doing. Fair enough there, and, you know, I, <laughs> I was telling you guys before the show, I've been seeing art about how people still technically have a chance of winning the World Drivers' Championship <laughs> ah, yeah, and yeah. how Verstappen <laughs> still has to keep his A-game on. But it's like, come on, guys. Like, yeah. he's, he's going to walk. He is... he's running they're so dominant I think he's what 20 odd seconds ahead of P2 starting from 6 yeah asking for, for pit stops I know his yeah his joke about pit stop training yeah I think I think that caused a lot of people to talk in the panel like come on as dominant as they as, as they are um, there's no reason as well to sort of let's say put a BOP on the car 
because mm. it's really a combination of both team and driver. Um, you can't fault Max for just being as quick as he is. You know, just raw speed. And then Checo, yeah, back on the podium again, second. So they had the weekend that they were looking for before the long summer break. But they clearly dominant this entire season. You know, it was really, really funny. I was scrolling through Instagram this morning and I saw a photo of a Red Bull driver on the podium with his hand over his eyes, obviously looking like he was crying. And I genuinely, for a split second, thought it was Perez crying because he had finally <laughs> gotten back into P2. Uh, clearly, it was just my jet lag getting the better of me. Uh, but no, it was it was an F2 driver in, in instead. But uh, yeah, he's, he's back on his ways, even though Helmut Marco has said he has now woken up from his world championship dream, which is such a helmet Marco thing to say. I mean, it was like a backhanded compliment, basically being like, he's back doing what he's meant to do, but he's woken up from his dream and is now living his nightmare of being a P2 driver. The criticisms is very heavy on, on Checo. I mean, guys, he's second in the championship. They have 500 odd points for the team's championship. Mm-hmm. At this juncture, at their, at their state of success, it's going to be a 1-2 world championship title. It's going to be the team standings for Red Bull. So, hey, Checo, you've done a good job go back with a smile you know you got your contract for next year which Horner has been uh, mentioning it to the media mm-hmm. I, I don't think the kid's I, done anything wrong we, we need to send this I, clip sorry. to him <laughs> yeah. are you saying we should cut him some slack <laughs> <laughs> pretty much I, um, I think we've had some fans reach out to us on the side of the podcast basically saying that they are Perez fans and we, yeah. and we do need to give him a break <laughs> true story I was stopped outside of the grocery store near where I live and um, the guy actually said hey you're the you're, you're the pundits from Suta and Buta I say yeah how come you guys don't talk about Checo anymore and I said well we we do we do <laughs> yeah but you need to pinpoint on him of how good he is so I say okay that's someone we need to talk about on Tuesday so hey Checo I think you've done a really good job wow this is, this is, this is such an emotional episode yeah. I, I'm not going to cut him slack I'm, I'm, I'm going to say producer. P2 is the bare minimum of where he needs to be and yeah you can argue that the team has the points but he's cut it close far too many times speaking of records as well you know of, of Red Bull dominating they've also succeeded in destroying two trophies in a row. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. continue that streak to get a hat trick. <laughs> okay. We have silly season coming up. Well, it's already, it's already started. Um, it's called silly season for a reason. Do we have any predictions of what else is going to happen? I mean, this whole Alpine fiasco is a, is a great start. What else do we predict to happen? Any driver movements? Any other senior management shifts? Well, there's talks about Logan Sargent uh, underperforming in that Williams. I think it's been 11-0 in qualifying mm-hmm. um, against Albon. Alex Palou from IndyCar mm-hmm. has been highly rated and talked about in which he's going to win the title again for the second time at his age, mid-20s. Uh, he's, he's also got a McLaren reserve contract in which McLaren has been developing him in the simulator. They've done testing in Portimao not too long ago and they're trying to get up his super license points. So there were talks of him looking at options. I believe AlphaTauri and Williams having a look over there and also where will uh, we see Daniel Ricciardo. So he's been outbeaten by Yuki Tsunoda over in Spa mm-hmm. and whether the Honey Badger is looking like to continue or not. Yeah, so it's one-to-one, right? I mean, he outperformed Tsunoda in Hungary and then now 
vice versa. But also, you know, going back to Alex Palou, that's that's very interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the last driver to only succeed in making that transfer from IndyCar to F1, I think is back in the 70s with Mario Andretti, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we're going to look at the facts, but previously or historically, there hasn't been drivers f- moving from IndyCar to F1 and doing well. It's always the other way around. What, 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 so, Ron, you've you've actually done Indy Lights. Is that, uh, is that right? Uh, no, it's the one before that. Okay. Uh, Pro Mazda. So, yeah. so w- why why would you why would you say that what what are the technical difficulties I I don't know I think it's more more of an environment change um, the car drives completely differently between IndyCar and F1 you know F1's got so much more downforce compared to IndyCar but that being said IndyCar is also very 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 competitive one make chassis Dallara and then you got two engine manufacturers Honda and and uh, Chevy but in Formula 1 yeah you've got a different environment so many different tracks you go to there are no more ovals so I think it's just adjusting to a different platform but then by the time they actually adjust it to the platform, it's going to be like Alpine again, one and a half years and you're booted. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I think we've seen this with Sebastian Bode, um when he was a four-time champ car um, champion at the time. That's true. And and he shifted to Toro Rosso. And a year and a half in, he was doing all right, but Helmut said it's time. And they brought in another Sebastian and produced a guy called Sebastian Vettel. Mm-hmm. So whether the IndyCar route into Formula One, we don't know perhaps the modern era is probably easier to adjust the fact that the simulators you know you can drive the two-year-old cars and you know all these teams are investing a lot of money in developing these drivers but perhaps it can be an exciting route there's so many exciting talents coming up from IndyCar you know there's Alex Palou there is Colton Herta you know all these young guys that that managed to break a career in in the states and now Formula One is American savvy and is so Americanized now with with all the media commercial avenues yeah it's probably good to have a product coming up from the American route. Yeah, I, I hope it does work. I think I think one thing that people don't really see behind the scenes as well with a driver making their way up to the pinnacle of motorsports is that that kind of career planning, right? There are, there's so many different routes to make it to Formula One, but I think it is the most limited way mm-hmm. in terms of your career path. I think you really do have to do F3, then you have to do F2, then you do make it to F1, right? I think if you are going to do random things, it'll be pre-F3. It'll be whether you do F4, whether you do some sort of touring car championship to kind of just get more track time and stuff like that but if you're targeting indie cars if you're targeting lmp1 or other types of le mans prototype racing there are so many different convoluted routes you can do right you can go to japan you can Mm -hmm. go to the us you can go to europe you can do obscure racing series so i hope that as you guys say more american fans come in indycar does become more of a viable route to then transfer over like we are seeing with with super formula in japan yeah yeah because i think that's what red bull used for their junior drivers to kind of test them out arguably not as competitive as IndyCar though. Mm. I think there's a reason why Red Bull hasn't sent any of the junior drivers to America probably because it's not suitable for what they want to achieve within their drivers. Super Formula is much closer to to F2. Jazz, you've driven Super Formula cars before. Maybe you can tell the audience how similar it is between Super Formula and Formula 2 slash F1? Yeah, it's it's very impressive bit of kit out in Japan. Um, it's actually a local championship that they've been running since the early 90s. Now, the car is built by Dallara and they have 
turbo engines, they have aero features similar to Formula 1, and the cars are only 6 seconds off Formula 1 in, in Suzuka. Um, they run on Yokohama tyres, plenty of grip, but what I feel talents that race there, it's getting out from their comfort zone because it's a totally different culture, mm. totally different type of pit stop, you know. They don't do pit stops like in F2 or Formula 1 where, you know, everything's structured, the guy's waiting for you to change the wheel. Like in Japan, they jump over your car and mm-hmm. and change, you know, and, and do the, those pit stops and change the wheels. It's, it's very good racing and already in that level of super formula you are working with a manufacturer so you have that resources and ways to approach certain elements to get more performance out of the team so in f2 is a bit restricted but super formula has that mindset and mentality i will say that super formula does visit tracks that you do see on the formula one calendar as well right you brought up suzuka so the track time that you gain there will translate directly to formula one whereas in indycar you're on a lot of street circuits extremely bumpy concrete walls on either side with no runoff or you're on ovals Um, so perhaps you pick up some bad habits driving on a street track so for those that don't know different tire compounds in IndyCar I think and correct me if I'm wrong guys you can can be a bit more aggressive you need to be on a street circuit Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot more erratic hand movements whereas when you get to F1 it's all about tire conservation right Mm -hmm, being a lot smoother on the steering wheel working with that tire deg to ensure that the strategy works out whereas in IndyCar it's just hustling it like you're driving in the wet in a go-kart and just bouncing round and sliding all over the place and yep. I don't know maybe the engineers don't like that so much yeah they won't they it, won't so it's, it's totally different culture right agree different culture different skill sets put it that way yeah okay one last thing I'm going to bring up before we get into our win it or bin it and then talking about Zanvoort is the fastest lap during the race so we know that whoever is in the top 10 of a Grand Prix weekend uh, and has the fastest lap will get an additional point right so that was a, a cute little trick that the FIA brought in to make the championship fight a little bit more exciting uh trying to you know re- make, make sure that the drivers push and they're not just kind of slowing down for that tire deck that i mentioned but is it a rule that has to go i know i saw this on instagram and i can't remember which page i feel like instagram's my source of source of truth nowadays hamilton got the fastest lap and that may have actually robbed the fans of a fight for that last podium position with leclerc because ultimately he did pit he tried to get that fastest lap mm-hmm. uh so do we think that's a rule that should be abolished next year i think it's a good rule to have you know just an extra point for the team to consider whether they want to chase for it or not it does shake shake things up which makes it interesting yeah i i, I think it's all right to have it we also heard from christian horner saying that yeah we don't want eggs thrown at us to have a you know <laughs> another super weekend fastest lap pole position race win so they kind of you know which which goes hand in hand with uh with max joking on doing that extra pit stop training thing but having this rule in i think it's fine i think it uh, shakes things up and lets the team decide what they want to do to get that extra point so so do you not do you not feel like it it robbed us of a of an exciting last few laps for that for that podium finish well toto can say sorry to the fans if anything (laughs) (laughs) what about you just yeah, well, definitely creates some excitement. It digs out more of the engineers to find a good strategy and um, a good time window to actually do that lap time. Um, but mind you, the best lap time is when the car is at its, at its lightest. So mm. running in that single tank, you can only see the best lap time in the last 10 laps. So perhaps that's also a, a, an excitement for, for, for the fans to view the last bit of the race. All right, gents, final segment, win it or bin it. Who is your win it, Ron? 
Okay, I'm going to make the producer happy. I'm going to go with Checo. I think Checo deserved it. <laughs> make the fans happy as well. <laughs> make the fans happy. <laughs> what about you, Jazz? I'm all for Checo as well. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, Checo. Yeah, he deserved that P2. I'm, I'm generally it. surprised. We, we used to talk about who our Win It and Bin It was before the show, but our producers kind of like tied our hands <laughs> and make sure that we don't have any spoilers. So I'm generally surprised. I'm going to go with Leclerc. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not a unanimous Perez. I, I see where you guys are coming from. <sighs> okay, you guys, you guys <laughs> <laughs> being very very nice who is your binet uh as much as i praised him a lot i'm gonna say oscar binned it for the belgian grand prix he had a he had a good chance he did well in the sprint race but he binned it completely for for the grand prix for himself and carlos for me guys oscar as well so ron we're <laughs> we're on the <laughs> yeah. same page throughout this whole belgian grand prix <laughs> see this, this is what happens when we don't discuss stuff pre-show i'm just i'm i'm the the odd one out i'm gonna go with russell i i feel like i feel like he could have done better like disappointed dad moment but also i can see where you guys are coming <laughs> from so, <laughs> i also kind of agree with you guys that's uh, that's pure pressure um okay so as mentioned the summer break has started the next race is in the Niederlands on the 25th of the 27th of August in Zandvoort. It's a track that the both of you have had the pleasure of driving. I've only done so on PlayStation. <laughs> Walk us through the track. I know I mentioned lots of cambers. Is it fast? Is it slow? It's a, it's a very technical track. Um, Zandvoort. Not one that I had very fond memories of because every time I went there it was like winters, super cold. <laughs> didn't really enjoy it because of the weather. But track-wise, I think it's a, it's a real driver track, I have to say. Um, very technical. Not very high speed. But I, th- I think Jazz mentioned before, a lot of mechanical grip comes into play for this particular circuit. Um, but I think Jazz would have more insight and knowledge of to what this track means to the drivers. I'd say it's a very physical track, guys. You know, there's a lot of laps. It's a very short track. Overthinking opportunities will only be on the main straight, unfortunately. It's fairly narrow with... Um, uh, very tight exits but most of the corners within sector 2 sector 3 runs on 3rd and 2nd gears mm-hmm. um, unless it's the high speed Shivelak corner which is very famous but um, qualifying will be key that's mm. the key for Zanvold so where you qualify is where you're going to end up uh, speaking of that particular corner I remember doing my first ever test in Formula 3 at that circuit and my neck completely failed <laughs> 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 I was like, time to hit the gym yeah I think uh, I don't know I, I, I don't know how I feel about tracks like this because i know how difficult overtaking is right i mean look undoubtedly there's a lot of mechanical grip on the track because it's a it's very very high camber we do have cars that have the most downforce of any other car so we we do see a lot of round the outside moves but uh, i don't know we're not going to see many dive bombs so i i hope it does rain um as we come out of the summer break uh i was just in the uk and there was a lot of horrible weather there so i hope that moves over to the netherlands as well because as we've seen and as i've been saying the last few episodes when the conditions are tricky when it is a little bit wet uh there is better racing it does make it more exciting Um, yeah yeah so only time will tell uh we will be back in the studio uh, right after that race but uh, if you guys show us some love on social media if you keep pulling Jasmine to one side during his grocery shopping time <laughs> there may be a chance that we'll be in the studio even earlier to drop you guys another podcast but until then make sure you do check in on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms and include Spotify Apple Podcasts and of course the short platform don't forget to write in tell us your feedback tell us what you want to hear more of in the show or keep pulling us to one side in person we love to hear all of your thoughts to try and make the show as interesting as possible but until then thank you so much for listening i'm daniel woodruff i'm we're on 10 i'm jasmine jafar and that was suited and booted drive safe see you guys soon